Welcome to Murder Minute. On today's episode, Debbie Lindsley. But first, your true crime headlines. A 12-year-old girl in Louisiana has been arrested for murder following the death of her six-month-old brother. Paramedics arrived at a home on the west bank of St. Charles Parish on Sunday to find an infant boy who wasn't breathing and failed to revive him. An autopsy determined that the death was a homicide. The boy's older sister was arrested on Monday. According to St. Charles Parish Sheriff Greg Champagne, no weapons were involved in the boy's killing. But they did not say how the boy died or how officials came to believe that his sister killed him. The 12-year-old girl was arrested on a charge of first-degree murder and is being held in a juvenile detention center. Children younger than 14 generally cannot be tried as adults in Louisiana. The sheriff called the killing, quote, a horrific and tragic situation. Authorities are not releasing the name of the victim to avoid identifying his minor sister. A fatal house fire in Vancouver, Washington on October 10th is being investigated as arson and potential homicide after the 75-year-old victim, John E. McCarty, was found strapped to a chair in his living room. Shortly after 7 p.m. on Saturday, October 10th, Vancouver firefighters rushed to a house fire and received a report that someone was inside. McCarty was declared dead at the scene. Court records also say that there was evidence of possible fire accelerants in each room of the burned house. Investigators on the scene said firefighters found, quote, a jug container with a clear liquid in a back bedroom with a burn pattern visible in the carpet that is visible from the outside of the home. The exact manner and cause of McCarty's death are still pending, according to the Clark County Medical Examiner's Office. A search warrant affidavit filed November 12th in Clark County Superior Court sought a warrant for investigators to search McCarty's finances and Veterans Affairs information, including benefits and medical records. The sheriff's office detective who authored the affidavit wrote that he has been unable to locate any family or friends who could, quote, provide additional insights into McCarty's life or who he was spending his time with. The fire and death investigations are ongoing. A suspect sought by police after the remains of three people were found near a rural town in southern Colorado was arrested Thursday at a motel in New Mexico. 26-year-old Audrey Jordan Barrows, commonly known in the community as Psycho, was arrested without incident in Gallup and is facing charges of first-degree homicide, first-degree assault, and second-degree kidnapping, according to the Colorado Bureau of Investigation. Searches last week uncovered the skeletal remains of three people on two properties near Las Salsas, a tiny community 200 miles south of Denver. None of the remains have yet been identified. Authorities have declined to comment on how Barrows might be connected to the discovery of the remains. His warrant remains sealed, and no additional information was available as of Thursday. 
Those are your true crime headlines. Up next, Debbie Lindsley. But first, a quick break. After you've finished binging your favorite true crime podcast, there's always one lingering question staring you in the face. Now what? Sure, you could slip into a Wikipedia wormhole researching everything about the show. But when your brain and your browser tabs are full to the brim, it might be time to take a breather. That's when I like to clear a few levels of Best Fiends. Best Fiends is the app that engages my brain with challenging but fun puzzle games. The game is simple and fun. The good guys are the bugs, and the bad guys are the slugs. Complete the puzzles to defeat the slugs, collecting keys and unlocking new fiends along the way, like Brittle the Housefly, Edward the Mosquito, Gordon the Scorpion, and my best fiend, Pop the Axolotl. I'm on level 209, and with new monthly updates, themed challenges, and holiday puzzles, there's always one more level, and the adventure never gets old. This is my pandemic must-play. So the next time you need a break from the news cycle or run out of shows to binge watch, download Best Fiends free. You might find yourself wondering how you ever found time for a dull moment before. Best Fiends has thousands of levels already. It's hours of fun at your fingertips and can even be played offline. This game has 100 million downloads and tons of five-star reviews for a reason. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. This episode is brought to you by Magic Spoon. As a kid, I loved cereal, and so did my mom. It was the fastest way to get us kids to feed ourselves and get out the door to school every morning. Just pour and go. And there was nothing better than sitting on the floor in my jammies with my cereal, watching Saturday morning cartoons. But as an adult, I can't really get away with eating a big bowl of carbs and sugar anymore. I need a healthy breakfast. Even if I do still sit in my pajamas and watch cartoons. But now I can have my cereal without the junk food sugar coma. With Magic Spoon. Magic Spoon is the cereal that you've been waiting for. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. That's right, 0 grams of sugar, 11 grams of protein, and only 3 net grams of carbs in each serving. And no, it doesn't taste like cardboard. This is not your grandma's oat brand. Magic Spoon is everything you loved about cereal as a kid. With four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry, this cereal is so delicious, you won't believe that it's actually good for you. Get the healthy cereal that Forbes magazine called the future of breakfast. Go to magicspoon.com slash murderminute to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code MURDERMINUTE at checkout to get free shipping. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash 
MURDERMINUTE and use the code MURDERMINUTE for free shipping. We thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring this podcast. Welcome back to Murder Minute. Deborah Lindsley, known to family and friends as Debbie, was born in Bromley, London, England, in 1962 to Arthur and Marguerite Lindsley. Her mother worked for the Department of Social Security as a fraud investigator, and her father was a retired insurance broker. By 1988, 26-year-old Debbie had moved to Edinburgh, Scotland, where she found work as a trainee hotel manager. In March of 1988, she boarded a train back to London to attend a hotel management course and stayed at her parents' house in Bromley. She also visited her brother Gordon. Gordon was getting married in two weeks and Debbie needed to be fitted for her bridesmaid dress. She was here three nights and was due to leave in the late afternoon to go back to work in Edinburgh, Debbie's father, Arthur, said. But on the course, she met the manager of the Sherlock Holmes Hotel in London, and she left earlier than planned to drop in and see this guy in Baker Street about a job there. On the afternoon of Wednesday, March 23rd, Gordon gave Debbie a lift to Petswood Station, where she would board the Orpington to London train at 2.16 p.m. The stops along the route to Victoria Station were Bickley, Bromley South, Shortlands, Beckenham Junction, Kent House, Penge East, Sydenham Hill, West Dulwich, Hearn Hill, and Brixton. Debbie would arrive at Victoria Station at 2.50 p.m. She bought her ticket and a pack of cigarettes and boarded the train at Petswood Station. She was seen boarding the train in a blue skirt, white blouse, and a black leather jacket. Debbie entered a carriage near the front of the train and entered the second compartment, an old-fashioned enclosed compartment with room for six people and doors at either side of the train. The train had a mix of compartments. Some had common corridors that allowed movement between them, and others were unconnected, like Debbie's, and did not have a corridor. These compartments allowed smoking. At 2.50 p.m., the train arrived at Victoria Station, right on schedule. But Debbie would never make it to her destination. Instead, her body was found by British rail staff, lying on the floor of the compartment in a pool of blood. Debbie had been stabbed to death 11 times in the face the neck, and the abdomen. Five of these stab wounds were in her heart. But the carriage wasn't just covered in Debbie's blood. 
it was covered in her killers as well. Debbie's wounds indicated that the murder weapon was a knife, measuring between five and seven and a half inches long. The train was searched, but no murder weapon was recovered. Initially, police suspected that Debbie had been the victim of a sexual assault. Defense wounds on her hands indicated a struggle, but no evidence of rape was found. It was in this struggle that the killer must have been injured with his own knife, leaving his DNA in the compartment. The evidence showed that Debbie had time to smoke two cigarettes after she boarded the train and eat part of a sandwich before she was attacked. This put the time of her murder closer to the end of the journey. Of the 70 other passengers on the train, only one witness came forward with information. An 18-year-old French au pair, Helen, who said that she heard screams for two full minutes just after the train departed Brixton Station. I had never heard such screams, she said. They stopped for about five seconds and started again. She called out as if for help. They were screams of fear and very, very loud. When asked why she did not pull the communications cord, Helen said that she was, quote, glued to her seat. When the train reached Victoria Station six minutes later, the au pair said that she saw a man limping away from the compartment that Debbie was later found in. Helen contacted the police only after she learned that there had been a murder, a decision for which she would receive a great deal of criticism during the inquest. The Metropolitan Police's senior investigating officer, Guy Mills, described the crime as, quote, savage and brutal. Mills noted that because the compartment Debbie Lindsley was traveling in had no corridor, she was trapped. Debbie had no means of escape, he said, apart from through the side doors onto the tracks. Within a week, British Rail announced new safety measures. They would reduce the number of unconnected carriages, like the one Debbie was killed in, used on off-peak journeys. This would reduce the risk of passengers being isolated, as the trains would be full. Police advised that passengers should be vigilant while traveling on the railway and to avoid carriages where the only means of escape was directly onto the line or platform. A broad red band was painted along the coaches without corridors to allow passengers to easily identify them and avoid boarding them if they wish. British Rail's eastern region also instructed its guards to patrol the trains and to be especially 
observant of women who were traveling alone. On April 22, 1988, Debbie's funeral took place at Holy Trinity Church, and she was buried in a nearby cemetery. Debbie was laid to rest in the bridesmaid dress that she was meant to have worn at her brother's wedding. Over the course of their investigation, a number of men were deemed of interest to investigators. One was a, quote, short, stocky man seen jumping from the train at Victoria. Another was seen leaving a compartment at Penge East before reboarding the train, possibly into Debbie's compartment. Police employed a sketch artist to render the impression of one passenger described as a, quote, scruffy man with dirty blonde hair, also spotted leaving Penge East. Still another man was seen reportedly staring at women boarding the train at Orpington. The investigation produced 1,200 witness statements, and 650 potential suspects were questioned and ruled out. But no arrests were ever made. In 2002, after forensic technology improved enough for the killer's DNA profile to be created, it was, and the case was reopened. The DNA from blood left by the killer in the train compartment has yet to be matched to a suspect. Detectives have also pursued familial DNA testing, the method used to catch the Golden State Killer in 2018. But for now, the case remains cold. Speaking on the anniversary of Debbie's death in 2018, her father, Arthur Lindsley, said, quote, My daughter was murdered 30 years ago, and despite the DNA profile of the suspect being available, the person responsible has still not been found. I appealed in 2013 for those who had suspicions about a partner, a friend, or a relative to please come forward, and I renew that appeal now. In 2013, police offered a £20,000 reward for information. The current investigation is being led by Acting Detective Inspector Susan Stansfield of the Met's Special Casework Investigation Team, part of the Homicide and Major Crime Command, investigating unsolved historical cases. Stansfield said in 2019, quote, our efforts to trace the perpetrator continue. We will do everything in our power to identify the killer and bring them to justice. We have a DNA profile of the suspect, and this remains a key piece of evidence that we are following up on. As well as the physical evidence at our disposal, we would be keen to hear from anyone who has information that might assist the inquiry. Although this happened 30 years ago, you may recall being on that train or at a station on the route 
and seeing something which, at the time, you thought nothing of, but in light of what happened, was out of place and suspicious, and might be significant. If you have information about the death of Debbie Lindsley, call 020-7230-4294 or Crime Stoppers anonymously at 0800 555 one, one, one. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute.